All right, if you're still there, you can turn to Ephesians 1. I guess if you're still there, you don't have to turn to Ephesians 1. (laughs) You can just open up. Uh, Praise God, it's really good to see you. The Duffy's back here. Really excited to see you guys and uh, to fellowship with you again. And glad that you guys are here, Norm and Jan. Really uh, appreciate you guys. Thank you. Um, Today we are continuing on with the spiritual blessings that that are presently ours who are in Christ. Let me turn this off real quick, sorry. So we're continuing on with the spiritual blessings that are presently ours right now who are in Christ. The key phrase in this uplifting and encouraging part uh, of this letter to the Ephesians for the believer. Last Saturday, or Sunday, sorry, that I preached, we talked about Ephesians 1, 5 to 6. Quote, our adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We talked about what we were adopted from. Namely, slavery to sin and the law of God. As we expanded in, on in Galatians 3 and 4, which is good. The law is good in acting as a buffer against sin. Such as, you shall not lie, commandment 9. You shall not steal, commandment 8. You shall not commit adultery, or as Jesus expanded on, uh, you shall not look with lust, a commandment 7. Mur- you shall not murder, uh, which was expanded on, I believe in James, or be angry with your brother without cause. That's commandment 6, etc. Which was also the law written on the hearts of us Galatians, or I, I'm sorry, us Gentiles, as uh, Romans 2.15 states, to know right from wrong, but of which is not good, the law being not good or of which is weak in that one is not able to be made righteous by trying to keep it. Something to illustrate this, which was not shared last time, which is one of my favorite illustrations I like to use on the streets while talking with people that Ray Comfort uses slightly modified would be something like someone committing murder. Somebody committing murder... And as a result of getting caught, if the murderer is ex- the murder is exposed by the law as a lawbreaker who is now facing the death penalty, then the murderer, as a result, trying to justify himself before a righteous judge in court because he did some good deeds here and there. The murderer is not made righteous by the law he has kept or by his good deeds outweighing his bad deeds. A corrupt judge may let the man go free on such grounds, but a righteous judge will not let the murderer go free. Rather, the righteous judge will make sure justice is paid for. For the life the man took. The law of God in a similar way exposes how sinful we are before him. 
leaving us guilty before God, the ultimate righteous judge who is holy without sin, for breaking his law, us now facing the death penalty for our sin or eternity in hell. And there's nothing we can say or do in and of ourselves to cleanse ourselves of our sin. We are guilty. Imprisoned by the stain of sin we cannot remove and imprisoned under the law which will hold us accountable at the judgment, every single one of us. And it's not as if in some areas we are good. You know, we talked about how illustrations can fall short. None of us outside of Christ can claim that we have some good in us. Again, as Romans 3, 10 to 12 states that I mentioned last time, there are none that are good. Not one. James 2, 10 states, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet offends in one point is guilty of breaking all of it. And lest anyone is tempted to think on the same lines as the heretic Pelagius, a false teacher around 300 to 420 AD that St. Augustine opposed, and that you believe you were born without sin and that you are able to confidently say as the rich young ruler, all these things or all the law of God have I kept from my youth up. As Matthew 10, 20 states, as grounds to be justified, or declared righteous. As David says in Psalm 51.5, quote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Our sinful action doesn't make our nature sinful. Our very nature is sinful, and therefore we sin. This is a result of the fall of Adam into sin. Adam, which is our federal head, our representative. That is, as put in another illustration, similar to our nation going to war. Even though you personally are not necessarily taking up arms to go to war, with the offending country, you are nevertheless at war because your nation is at war. As Romans 5.12 states, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So where is our hope? As Titus 3, 5 states, quote, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, as our new federal head or representative by faith, based solely on the mercy of God, stepped into the courtroom of our condemnation, so to speak, lived a life without sin, and bore the wrath of God for your sin and mine on the cross in our stead. 
died and rose again from the grave, who is now seated at the right hand of the Father, that we might be declared righteous in him. 1 Corinthians 15, 21-22 states, quote, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. That is, quote, all that the Father gives to Jesus, as John 6.37 states. Now, the illustration used here is a judge-advocate type illustration, whereas in our text in Ephesians 1.5-6 was a father-adoption, father-slash-adoption type explanation, the hub of the message the last week of which three points rested, which was namely, number one, it was an adoption which was predestined by God, determined beforehand. Quote, before anyone did anything good or evil, unquote, as we further clarified in Romans 9. And number two, our adoption was according to his will, not our will. We need to, we need to be drawn by God, that is, pulled in by him. Men bent on rebellion toward God are not wooed. We need God to act on our behalf, to cause us to be born again with a new nature, as Ezekiel 36 explains. Quote, working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, as Philippians 2.13 says. And finally, number three, as we spoke of last week, our adoption was according to his glorious grace, his glorious grace as Paul rightly breaks out in doxology or praise to God. You look at what God has done to and for us, wretched, rebellious sinners who could do nothing for ourselves. It is glorious grace or glorious unmerited favor. Today we're going to be looking at Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. And since you're there, I'll just read verses 7 through 10. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. You know, throughout the last couple of weeks, under broader headlines, we have looked at what God the Father has done for us, quote-unquote, in Christ. Again, being the key phrase of which is also the key phrase in the coming weeks ahead. 
We've looked at three of the main in him uh, texts so far, how he has blessed us in Christ, verse 3, how he chose us in him, verse 4, and how he adopted us in the beloved, verses 5 through 6. And now in, in him, we have redemption through his blood, verse 7. Uh, the key idea here of which the following verses build upon is God the Father redeeming us through the blood of Christ. Verse 7. First, we have the result of God doing so. Secondly, we have the means of God doing so. And thirdly, we have the purpose of God doing so. First, the key idea of the Father, quote, redeeming us through the blood of Christ. The Greek term for redemption means ransom or release. The term is also translated as deliverance in uh, Scripture. The term ransom is, quote, a sum of money or the payment or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. Indeed, as spoken of last time, we were prisoners, slaves under sin and the law. Again, in Galatians 3 and 4 last week, in studying our adoption, we saw this very fact how Scripture, quote, imprisoned everything under sin, Galatians 3.22. And how we were, quote, held captive under the law, imprisoned, Galatians 3.23. Quote, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a, vir- born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, Galatians 4, 4 4-5. Now there was a price to be paid, as the term suggests, for the redemption of sinners, of our adoption as sons. And that price to be paid was the blood of Jesus Christ. It was nothing that you provided. As an early American firebrand of a preacher, Jonathan Edwards stated, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Like God providing the ram, a type of Christ, in the thicket for Abraham as a sacrifice in place of his son Isaac in Genesis 22, God provided his son, Jesus Christ, whom he did not spare, as Romans 8.32 says, as a sacrifice. Quote, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sins of the world, John 1.29. Hebrews 10 reminds us of the purpose of the Levitical law such as the sacrifices in the Old Testament, 
and what it pointed to. Number one, it was a shadow of the good things to come. Verse one, that is not the actual thing, but its shadow. Ultimately, it was a reminder of the one to come. And the redemption for the uh, and, and the redemption for the elect through the blood of Christ, the one casting that shadow. Number two, the sacrifices were also a, a reminder of sins every year. And that, quote, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, verses three and four. Number three, by the means of Jesus Christ, the one to whom all these sacrifices and offerings offered time and time again that, that pointed to through the shedding of his blood on the cross, we've been sanctified through the offering of his body once for all time, as Hebrews 10.10 states. Leviticus 17.11 reminds us regarding animal sacrifices, quote, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Again, those Old Testament sacrifices were a shadow of Christ who was to come, of whom his own blood was shed for the atonement of their souls, for the reconciliation of God and humankind, of whom the true Israel of God looked forward to by grace through faith in the sacrifices performed and of which the true Israel of God now included, including Gentile nations of the world, look back to by grace through faith. Which brings us to our first point You know, what is the result of God sanctifying us in Hebrews 10.10 10, or of our redemption through his blood? That is, our redemption through the blood of Christ in our text of Ephesians 1.7-10. It's, quote-unquote, the forgiveness of our trespasses, as uh, verse 7 states. It's the forgiveness of our trespasses. If God has sanctified you, set you apart, if you have redemption through his blood or have been purchased out of slavery from sin and the law, it means you have been forgiven your trespasses. The Greek term for trespasses is pedoptoma, which can mean, quote, transgression, sin against, to sin as a moral failure to keep a command, it can mean stepping out of the bounds of God's law. The word is translated as offense, singular or plural. It can, mean, it can be translated as sins. It can be translated as fall. It can be translated as fault, uh, singular or plural in the King James. 
Jesus said at the institution of the Lord's Supper in Matthew 26, 28, For this is my blood of the covenant, which was poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of our trespasses was done, quote, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Now, how else could it have been done when one commits high treason in sinning against the uncreated, thrice holy, infinite God, our Creator? We need God to act on our behalf by means of grace or unmerited favor or there is no hope. But because of the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us who have sinned against him, there is hope for his elect through Christ. And point two, what are the means of God redeeming us through the blood of Christ? the means of God redeeming us through the blood of Christ. Let's read Ephesians 1, 8b through 10b. So kind of the middle of verse 8 into the middle of verse 10. Beginning with in all wisdom. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. The means of the Father redeeming us through the blood of Christ is not an altogether passive event where all people are going to heaven now. Where everyone is in or going to a better place. We'll hear that a lot in the world. You know, just they lived a life of just loving sin and, and serving the enemy and, and they're in a better place now. You know, make no mistake. Salvation is monergistic, meaning it's all of his grace. It's not synergistic, God plus you. But there is a revealing, there is a revealing or, or quote, making known to us the mystery of his will. To his elect, to his sheep of whom Jesus laid his life down for. In Acts 16, 14 to 15, you don't have to turn there. God opened the heart of Lydia to, quote, pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they responded, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In verse 15, Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? 
Verse 16, Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In verse 17, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, for the lost or unbelievers, there's a blindness that is taking place until God opens their hearts. As 2 Corinthians 4, 4 states, quote, the God, small g, God, Satan of this world or the satanic world system has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, unquote. But to those of whom the Father makes known the mystery of his will, they will come to him. They will come to him. Or as John 6, 37 states, all that the Father gives to Jesus will come to him. Every single one without fail. Romans 8, 29 to 30 the same men God foreknew to be reconciled to him are the same men that will be glorified. Every single one, not one lost. Now back to our text in Ephesians. What is the mystery of his will? What's the mystery of his will referring to that he reveals to his sheep? The Greek term for mystery or secret, according to Strong's Concordance, quote, often refers to a misunderstood part of the Old Testament that with Christ's coming is now unveiled. The mystery of his will was in our, con- in, in our text, according, quote, according to his purpose which he set forth, in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Jesus Christ, the focal point of history, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the one to whom all of Scripture points to was and is, quote-unquote, the mystery of his will, made known in truth to his elect, who was planned at the perfect time according to the Father's purpose. Our third and final point, what was the ultimate purpose of the Father, quote, redeeming us through the blood of Christ? Let's read Ephesians 1, 10, B, the second half of B, or 10. It was to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, how does uniting all things or reconciling everything apply to ourselves? 
Let's read Colossians 1. We'll turn there. That's uh, further back in the, in the Bible, not too far. Colossians 1. <clears throat> And we're just going to read 21 through uh, the first part of 23. All right, Colossians 1, 21 through 23a. So it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith. So there are many men at present that are, quote, alien and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. But Christ is building his church, Matthew 16, 18. At present, reconciling these men to himself by the preaching of the gospel. Quote, the power of God unto salvation to them that believe, Romans 1.16, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16.18 says as well. Do you believe that? Do you believe Jesus Christ is at present ruling and reigning and is with you in this endeavor to reconcile men to God? Let's turn to Matthew 28. I'm going to read that. When I hear the pages stop turning, I'll read Matthew 28. I'm going to look at the very end of it. Verses 16 through 20. says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's go to another spot here. I think this is Hebrews 10. Let's turn there.
Okay, I'm just going to read verses 12 through 13. It says this. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Oops. Hold on one second. Now, Jesus is not waiting for the enemy to have his church under his feet. Now, this concept is so foreign to today's church, that which was so common to the Puritans. Someone has once said, that it's the very reason the Puritans built churches that would last a thousand years. They were in it for the long haul, believing by faith the victory of Christ in and through the faithful preaching of his word. In the same way, the Father has, has not and will not fail Quote, to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, it's time to prepare for the long haul and to get busy. This isn't solely the pastor's job. God has gifted every, each and every one of us of the members of the body of Christ for these ends. And we need to, by faith, trust that Jesus is with us and that he will not fail despite what our eyes may see. And we can all grow in this. We need to see that, quote, in him we have redemption through his blood to now conquer the nations through the proclamation of his word for his glory. To the unbelieving, especially in the context of the church, you may be covenantally a part of the visible church, experiencing the blessings of the body of Christ. Quote, tasting of the good things to come, Hebrews 6. But if you are not bearing fruit, if you are not truly connected to the vine, that is Christ, proving yourself to be a true disciple of Christ, you ought to fear, lest you be cut off to be burned, as John 15 states and Hebrews 6 warns, of how much worse is the punishment going to be for that man, as Hebrews 10.29 states. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn from sin to Christ by faith. As John Piper, I believe, rightly put once, faith is not believing in God. Faith is believing God. And trust Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
just thank you for your word. Again, as you uh, say in your word that it's good for, it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. The, the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God, we just pray and trust that um, your word is working in us uh, to conform us to your son, to equip us to go out into the world, Lord, and proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world. It's under the, the slavery of Satan and this world system. God, we just pray that you, you might do work in us, Lord God. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of faith. Help us to put off sin, put on righteousness. Help us to daily deny ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you. Lord, help us to live lives completely sold out to you, Lord God. Surrendered lives. In Jesus' name, amen.